Okay, great. Thank you, Scott and Joe, for leading us so well uh, in worship. Uh, my name's Owen, and I have the privilege of leading the team here at Foundation Church. Uh, and I just want to add my welcome uh, to you today. I'm so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. We are going to be continuing a series that we started last Sunday uh, in the New Testament letter from James, uh, a series called Faith That Works. Uh, and today we're going to be looking particularly at some verses from James uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through to verse 18. Uh, and these are verses uh, which I believe are incredibly applicable, are, are very relevant to our current circumstances. Uh, as we struggle to come to terms with all that's going on in the world around us, as we struggle to, to try and work out how we respond to COVID-19 and the challenges that that is presenting us uh, globally and nationally and even at a local community and family level. And so I want to encourage you today uh, as we read these verses and as we seek to understand and apply them, I want to encourage you to lean in, uh, to have ears open and hearts ready to receive, to be expectant uh, that God might speak to you through his word today. We're going to read together and then I'll pray uh, and then we'll uh, kind of open it up and see how it applies to us. So if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to grab it uh, and to open up these verses with us. We're in James chapter 1, verse 2 through to 18. Uh, but the words will also come up uh, on the screen here for you to read uh, as we go through. Let's read together. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom fails and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. 
Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be like a kind of first fruits of all he created. I'm going to pray and then we'll dig in together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you uh, that it can strengthen and encourage, that it can challenge and, and equip us and help us to Live for you. Help us to find hope in the midst of challenge. Help us to make sense of the chaos uh, that surrounds us. I pray, Lord, would you help us by your spirit to understand and to apply your word to our hearts today. Would you you help it to to get down deep uh, into our hearts today that it might bear fruit uh, for your glory, Lord, we pray. Amen. Good. Well, let's get into it, shall we? Uh, Just by way of background, we need to understand as we approach these verses that at the time James wrote this letter, many of his original readers were experiencing great challenges. They were not living the easy life. These guys had it hard. Many of them were living in in real poverty. Many of them facing uh, oppression and persecution because of their faith. They were not living a comfortable and privileged life. And as James writes to strengthen and to encourage them, and as we face challenges today, and and James's words come to strengthen and encourage us, what does he say? Well, he begins like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? I mean, this is just crazy talk. James, what on earth are you saying? What kind of madman are you? You know, we do everything we can to shield and protect ourselves from discomfort, to eradicate inconvenience and hardship. We do everything within our power, don't we? To make everything as trouble-free as we possibly can do Any obstacle, any hardship, any suffering, any trial is met with anger and frustration and confusion and despair. We we don't welcome it. We certainly don't consider it joy. But here James says, count it pure joy. Like, James, what on earth are you saying? Remember, James is writing to Christians who are experiencing great challenges. And as they do, he tells them to consider it joy. I mean, this seems like the least pastorally sensitive thing you can possibly imagine saying to someone in a place of suffering. So what on earth is going on? Well, firstly, we need to be very clear what James is not saying. And then we might seek to understand what he is. So he is not saying that as Christians, we should enjoy pain or suffering. 
He's not saying that we should delight in sickness. He's not saying that we should be on a perpetually feel-good high regardless of life's trials. He's not saying that we should feel a warm, fuzzy feeling all the time. No. I mean, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? That would be utterly insane. And it would also be completely inconsistent with the teaching of Scripture and inconsistent with the life and example of Jesus. There are whole swathes of Scripture given over to lament, given over to speaking up uh, both about and against suffering and injustice and brokenness. Jesus himself wept at the loss of his good friend Lazarus. He, he grieved, he joined with those who were mourning the loss of Lazarus' life. In the garden, just before going to the cross, Jesus cried out in anguish, in pain. He cried out, if there's any other way. He didn't greet the the trial and pain of the cross with with some kind of televangelist permagrin on his face. Hey, he just, that would be crazy. And neither does God expect us to when we face trial and challenge and suffering. Right now, the world is facing the kind of suffering and trial that many of us have never imagined we might have to walk through. As Christians, we don't face it callously or flippantly. We mourn with those who mourn. We grieve the loss of loved ones. We pray that God might heal the sick, that he might break in and and bring freedom. We put our shoulder to the plough and we do all that we can to serve and love those around us. So for James to, to write, count it joy, just doesn't seem compatible, does it? It doesn't seem to make any sense, but yet he does say, count it joy. So what does he mean? Well, this command to count it pure joy means that as Christians we are to make a deliberate and careful decision to experience joy even in times of hardship. Not a false emotional high, but a deep-rooted joy. And thankfully, James tells us where we might find that joy. He goes on to write, Because you know that testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking in anything. See, the truth we need to grasp is this. God accomplishes his purposes in us through trials. We instinctively can recoil at that, can't we? We think, what do you mean like God accomplishes his purposes in us through trials? Well, it's true. And it's vitally important that we understand it. 
Guys, I want to be clear. This is not to say that God causes suffering or sickness. But he allows it. And in it, he can and does use it to grow us. So if we believe that the goal of life is to be successful and healthy and wealthy, uh, to have a nice job, to, to have the family that we think we should have, um, to uh, kind of have all the things that we think we ought to have. If, if that's our measure of success, then when trials come, when tragedy strikes, uh, when sickness comes, when someone we love gets ill, when we lose our job, perhaps, when COVID-19 comes along and starts ruining our plans, then everything begins to fall apart for us. We despair because everything that we believe we should be working for, everything that we believe success looks like seems to be falling away. But... If, if we understand that first and foremost, we are created for intimacy with God, for relationship with him, if we understand that the, that the true goal of life is to move closer to him, to become more like him, to be conformed into his image, that we would be mature, complete, as James says in these verses, lacking nothing, then actually these trials, these struggles can become tools that might help us in that. If your goal is to fix your circumstances, you will be frustrated and stressed. You will be. If your life's goal, if your view of success is to fix your circumstances, then you will live frustrated and stressed because challenges will come and will derail your plans and will prevent your view of success from happening. But if your goal is to grow in godliness... If your goal is to, to grow more like him, if your goal is to grow in your relationship with him, if your understanding of success is intimacy with God, then regardless of your surrounding circumstances, you will succeed. If your goal is to have everything just exactly how you like it, if your goal is to have everything easy and comfortable, then you will never you will never consider trials joy. But if you set your sights on knowing Jesus, on growing like Jesus, then trials can become joy because they teach you to lean into him, to depend on God in a way that otherwise you would not. An illustration of this from my own life. You know, a couple of years back, Jenny and I found ourselves in a position where we had no job. I'd been made redundant. Uh, we had no home uh, as we needed to move out of the property that we were living in. 
And we needed to move out of the area we lived in too. And in a very, very short space of time, work, home, school, community were all stripped away from us. It was not easy. We cried. We cried a lot. In fact, we still feel the pain of that experience. But it caused us to lean on God, to trust in Him, to depend on Him, to rely on Him, to find our hope in Him and not in our surrounding circumstances, to find our security and our peace and our joy in Him and who He is and our future hope in Him rather than our present difficult circumstances. I'm grateful for that experience because of what it accomplished in us. You know, trials also expose where we place our security. Do we place it in God or in something else? It's easy to declare that we trust in God as our Father, that we, that we hope in Jesus as our Saviour when all is well. But when testing comes, when faced with trial, when things are not going how we want them to go or how we think they should go, in those moments, how do we respond? In those moments, the genuineness of our faith is tested. How often, how often tragically have you heard people say something like this? Well, I used to go to church, I used to be a Christian, but then, uh, then this thing happened. And, well, that just changed everything for me. I, I, I can't trust in a God that would allow that to happen to my friend or my family member. I can't trust a God that would allow that. Guys, I'm not saying that to belittle the pain of these trials and challenges. I'm not saying it to belittle the pain of the circumstances that you may well be in right now. It's real. We feel the pain and so we should. We grieve. We mourn. It's appropriate and right to do so. We don't rejoice at death. Jesus didn't and Jesus doesn't. Jesus came to conquer death, but... If loss like this causes us to lose our faith, then it exposes our faith was not truly in God. You know, we see this played out in the Old Testament story of Job. Job was a man who had everything. He was living the good life. And Satan came to God and said to him, Hey, Job, you know, he only loves you. He only has faith in you. He's only following you because of all the blessings that he's experiencing. He only trusts you uh, and is following you because of all the good things that you give him. If you let me strip all that away, he'll turn his back on you. He'll hate you. He'll reject you. And God agrees 
to allow Job to lose everything. Now, this sounds unreasonably harsh to us. From our perspective, this just is like, how could that be a good thing to do? But as we read the account, we see that actually it served to strengthen Job's faith as he continued to trust God, as he continued to rely on him, even as everything else was stripped away. God used that testing to drive Job deeper into the heart of God, deeper into dependence on him, deeper into trust of him. It allowed him to find his only true hope in God and not in other things. In Job's pain, when everything else was stripped away, he discovered what he really needed. What Job needed most and what you need most is a right relationship with God. That's on offer to us. It's on offer to you, even in our darkest trials. And this is precisely what James is speaking to in these verses. Trials test our faith in a way that either exposes it to be without substance or a way that causes the Christian to dive deeper into the heart of God, to lean more fully on him. These trials can be used by God to strengthen and deepen our faith and to prove it genuine, to solidify it. And so we can count it joy when trials come. Not that there's joy in the suffering itself, no. There's pain. There's heartache. But there is joy in what it produces, in what it accomplishes in us. You know, this is so hard for us to get our heads around, isn't it? I know this is is difficult to to see and to reconcile with what we instinctively think things should be like, but it is unashamedly actually the teaching of Scripture. God does not create suffering and evil. He does not create sickness, but he does allow it, and he can and will use it for our good. These hardships can produce something good in you. But we struggle to see it this way, don't we? Right now, I would guess that you are looking at our present circumstances and struggling to see how this could be anything other than purposeless mess. You might try to search for meaning in it, to connect the dots, to see what good might come out of it. But as we experience loss... And as we hear of more and more people sick and in suffering, losing loved ones, as our freedoms are more and more restricted, we struggle to see how God can possibly use this. What should we do about that? Well, right here, James tells us, 
But as we look at these trials, as we look at these obstacles we face, what we need and what we lack is wisdom. We read in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Where does James say we can gain wisdom? In prayer, in coming to God, in honestly and humbly bringing our pain before him, bringing our confusion and our heartache to him in prayer, acknowledging that we don't understand, but that we can come to the one who does. We ask for wisdom to see things from God's perspective. To see earth in the light of heaven. To see this life in the light of eternal life through Christ Jesus. To see our present temporary trials and troubles in the light of eternal salvation. Because being assured of what we hope for in the future, being assured of what we will receive in eternity with God affects the way that we view suffering now. We need the wisdom of God that helps us to see, to view that God's ultimate aim is not our temporary comfort, but our eternal salvation to see what James points out to us in verse 12, that that blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James is saying, when you understand, when you understand our eternal hope in Christ Jesus, it, it changes our perspective as we persevere through these trials that we will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised. The crown is a a symbol of the reward of eternal life. That at the end of these trials, God meets us with life and life eternal. Trials can remind us that we're living for a reward that's yet to come. They evidence the genuineness of our faith and strengthen and deepen our trust in him. But what about when we just feel straight up overwhelmed? When we feel tempted to to give in to despair, when we feel tempted to just give up? Does it mean that in these trials God is tempting us to despair, that God is tempting us to abandon him? Again, James answers our question here. We can read from verse 13. He says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Every trial brings with it temptation. James tells us very clearly, though, that that God cannot be tempted 
and that God does not tempt. So who does? How are we tempted? Well, you may expect James to point the finger at Satan, but he doesn't. No, he points it squarely at us. James says the problem is in here. They're tempted by their own evil desire. We want to put the blame on our sin. We want to put the blame of our sin on someone else, anyone else. It's got to be someone else's fault. But James says, it's here. It's me. It's you. We're each one of us born in sin, born with a default to to rebel against God, to be Lord of our own lives instead of submitting to Jesus as Lord. This temptation comes out of our own sinful nature. And as we believe the lie that God is holding out on us, that we know better, that we have a better way than him, as we desire what we believe will give us pleasure and fulfillment and satisfaction, whether God's given it or not, we step into disobedience. We're dragged off by our own evil desires. We give way to sin. And what does sin give birth to, James says here? Sin gives birth to death. As we sin, as we reject God and his ways, we reject the giver of life. And in so doing, we receive death. Guys, this is serious. Whatever sin you're flirting with, Whatever temptation you're giving into, put it to death. Or it will lead you to death. God doesn't tempt us to sin, but we will experience temptation. Now there's forgiveness. Wonderfully, gloriously, beautifully, there's forgiveness when we come to him and confess our sin and ask him to forgive us. Because of what Christ has done at the cross, there is forgiveness. But if we continue to sin, we are playing with fire. If you continue to walk in disobedience with God, there will be a time when it is too late. Your circumstances, hardships, challenges don't count as mitigating circumstances. They are not an excuse to sin. And you can't point the finger at God or anybody else. You have a responsibility for how you respond to temptation. So what are we to do? How are we to arm ourselves against temptation and count our trials joy? How are we to grow in maturity in our trials instead of giving way to despair? Well, thankfully, James tells us here. He gives us the the, the tools that we need. He gives us the antidote that we need. And it's this. He says from verse 16, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. 
He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What does he say we do? He says we stand in the truth of the goodness of God. Don't allow yourself to be deceived, to, to believe the lie that your ways are better than his. No, remember the goodness of God. Remember his provision in creation. But ultimately and most fully, remember the goodness of God that has come to us in Christ Jesus, who came down to us. The perfect representation of a faithful Father. Perfect in all his ways. Never changes. Never fails. For those who put their hope in Jesus, James says, he's given us birth through the word of truth. New life, new birth through Jesus. He's given us new life as the first fruits of all that he created. What does that mean? It just means that the new life God has given us in Jesus, the eternal life secured for us, is a foretaste. It's a glimpse of what will happen when Jesus returns and makes all things new. When Christ returns and wipes away every tear from every eye, when he restores and renews creation without blemish, without sickness, without pain, without suffering, without death. So our life in him now is like a promise and a sign of what is yet to come. So how then do we arm ourselves against temptation? We look at our present circumstances and we see them through the lens of eternity. We look at the uncertainty that surrounds us and we lean on the certainty of who God is is and what he's done for us. We look at the hardships we face now and instead of giving in to temptation, we see how God might use this as an opportunity to form in us godly character, to grow in us patience, perseverance, humility. And we find our joy again in knowing that as we walk step by step, towards the eternal goal of becoming like Christ Jesus our Lord, even sharing with him in his suffering that he is at work in us by his Spirit in all these circumstances for our good and for his glory. I'm going to pray for us and hand back over to Joe and Scott who will lead us in one final song. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness towards us. Lord, I pray that in the midst of, of all that is going on right now in the world, would we never lose sight of your goodness? Would we never lose sight of your grace towards us in Christ Jesus? Lord, I pray in these trials and circumstances, Lord, as other comforts and securities are stripped away from us, that you would teach us all the more to depend on you that you would train us by your spirit at work in us to, to lean all the more on you, to find our delight more and more fully in you and in you alone, Lord God. Amen.